This is Monstras. Welcome to another episode of Monstras. Today, we are doing a very exciting, actually not really, <laughs> but a kind of exciting <laughs> review of a Christmas movie, Santa versus the Devil. And with me today, uh, as always, and my name, of course, is Brenda. Of course. Sal. Que. Ro. <laughs> with me today is... Orquídea. <laughs> I'm not going to do that more. That list. <laughs> <laughs> but you did do it. I but did you did do, do it. it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And we have also another special guest with us today, right? What's up? I'm Zay. So do you want to tell us about yourself, Zay? Yeah. So first of all, let me just say I'm excited to be on here. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm excited to review this film. I make a lot of films myself. I'm a screenwriter, uh, or I'm a student of screenwriting, and I also do some directing. Um, I know a decent amount about movies, as one should when one is a film student. And so, yes, me. Great. So I'm really excited to actually hear your perspective on this garbage movie. <laughs> uh. Thank you. <laughs> And I, I will say, Zay and I have known each other for... Like a bazillion years now. Yeah, seven or eight years now. Yeah. I know Orkidia because in Michigan, we hang out together because you took a class from my mom. Mm -hmm. And then your sister's really awesome, Dulce. She hung out with me a lot. She was my babysitter. Dulce, if you're listening. I can't make her listen to this podcast. My sister won't listen to this podcast because she doesn't have the patience. She told me about this podcast, so <laughs> she she must have been listening at some point. I, I don't know. Aw, well, thank you. So happy to, you know, have your patronage and have you on here today. So, Orkidia, get us started. So, just a heads up, we since most of the movie reviews, there will be spoilers not that it matters for this movie because it's crazy. Spoilers mean nothing. Um, so the way we'll do it today is we'll do a quick overview about the movie. So the And then we'll talk about the context. And then we'll talk about um, some of our favorite parts of the movie um, and all that fun stuff. So, yeah. All right. Thank you. So let's get started. As I said before, today the movie that we're reviewing is Santa Claus released in 1959 and made in Mexico. This movie is also known as, uh, by an alternative name, as Santa Claus versus the Devil. So before we get into the film, we wanted to do a quick overview of how Christmas is traditionally celebrated in Mexico, since that's where the movie takes place. Then we'll do a synopsis, go over our favorite scenes, which... <laughs> Was so hard to find anything redeemable because <laughs> they're they're also they're also great they're also great it's hard to pick just the one. Um, so we'll go over our favorite scenes and then close out the episode talking about our favorite Christmas traditions uh, that we do with our family. So it'll be very festive and in season, you know. So let's get started with Christmas in Mexico. So um, I kind of wanted to include this part just because. 
I grew up on the border and celebrating Christmas there is different from what is shown in the movie and is different from like traditions in like southern central Mexico. So I just thought it would be fun to think about like what is what is the what are the traditions in Mexico um and then go from there. So there's numerous traditions uh around Christmas and Dia de los Reyes or the Three Kings um which is also a big celebration. So before we have the Christmas celebration, you have posadas. Posadas are um you go from home to home or neighborhood to neighborhood and you like it's almost like caroling. So you go singing, but you're asking for posada, which means a place to stay. Like, you know, you're you're saying, "Can I can I stay with you?" kind of recreating what uh Jose and Maria did when they were asked then they were looking for a place to stay to give birth. Um around Christmas and everybody was like, no, get away from here. There's no room at the inn. So you're anyway, you're going around singing, being like, please let us into the inn. And people go, all right, come in. And you go in and you party and you eat tamales and you drink hot chocolate. And then there's usually a piñata. And then there's usually a candy bag. And candy bags in Mexico are like, or at least poor people candy bags, which are the ones I know of. They all usually have like a giant orange, which takes up most of the space in the bag. <laughs> what? Because you can't afford candies. And oranges are like more affordable or you have them in the garden or whatever. So like most of the bag is like a giant orange. Peanuts. Okay. Um, and then there's this candy my mom loved. Oh, I can't remember the name of it. but it's Tamarindo. Called... Tamarindo. Oh my gosh. Tamarindo, <laughs> yes. Uh, there's like... These they look like jawbreakers almost, but they're like sprinkles on the outside and inside they have anise. So those are like really intense candies. I've never had one, but my mom's like, those were the treats. That was the shit <laughs> for poor kids in Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So that was that was like what you got when you went to the posadas. Um so the posadas usually started December sixteenth and went all the way until Nochebuena, which is December twenty-fourth. And that's when you have the party in Mexico. And I think most Latin American countries, the party is usually the night before the 25th. Um, yes. And that's, I think, something that people conf- were confused about uh, when I moved away from Latino neighborhoods. People were like, the 24th. And I was like, yeah, you open presents on the 24th and you party on the 24th. And everyone's like, all the white people were like, what? <laughs> Because the, the 25th is for the recalentados. That's like when you go back to your grandma's house, whatever, and you reheat the tamales or whatever. And that's, yeah, you like, you're hungover from the 24th. You kind of have a nice reheating of everything on the 25th in the morning and sleep it off. Yes. And the other thing that I wanted to note just to emphasize is the piñata. The piñata is actually uh, originally for just Christmas, right? It's not a birthday celebration or anything like that. Because that's what I was told by someone else who is Mexican, (laughs) by another Mexican person. I think, and usually the piñata, like the traditional piñata is the shape of the star, which is uh, the the northern star, right? What the three kings were following or, you know, where Jesus was born. So um, that's another, like, kind of like the mix of Catholicism and the, the Christmas traditions, which... Makes sense. Yeah, Um, makes sense. So the tradition of looking for posadas was begun by the Spanish evangelist to teach the Christmas story to the indigenous people. I didn't know this part. 
Um, and it was kind of a way to to supplant the rituals of the birth of Huitzilopochtli, which was around the same time as Christmas. Oh. So to kind of get them to to switch over to Christmas, they they started on December 16th, which was around Huitzilopochtli's birthday as a way to get them to celebrate Christmas. Oh, that is so shitty, but also <laughs> makes sense. I mean, it's... Like, really, I don't want to say smart, but like, smart colonialists, <laughs> I guess? I think it's been done in other cultures as well. You kind of come in and supplant... Uh, things like that. So I think I think it's a it's a common thing that colonizers do, but it is a smart way of easing people into a belief as opposed to beating it into them. Even though the Spanish also did that. Yeah, you know? I mean it was gonna say they, they did both. They, they didn't care. <laughs> Either way you were gonna learn about the, the beauty of Christianity and how it yeah, was so exactly. much better and less savage than whatever indigenous <laughs> beliefs you had. Yeah. And what God was, um, I'm not even going to try to say the word. I, I have to practice it before I say it, so I'm not going to try. But what what God was this God? Huitzilopochtli? I think he was the God of war. Ooh. Well, that's that's an interesting juxtaposition to the colonial, uh, you know, the uh, the Jesus yeah. baby Thing. Yeah, but I mean, it makes sense because there's so many wars fought around Christianity. True. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's basically the Christian God's one job is to incite war and violence. So it, it makes sense. I mean, yeah. relatable. <laughs> yeah. I, I see your point. Yeah. They're like, oh, so the God is like God of war and he hates humanity. <gasps> we get it. <laughs> yes. And I think um the other I can't remember which deity it was that um was it Quatlique that they mixed with Virgin Mary. So one of the reasons that we have the celebration of Virgin Mary on December twelfth, I believe. It's also in December or January, but I think it's December twelfth in Mexico was also around this. Like there was another celebration for Quatlique, I think. Um, so they they merged the two deities. Interesting. I mean, it makes sense. Again, even Christmas itself is supposed to be a supplantation of other, uh, what is it, cultures, beliefs. Because I think Jesus wasn't even born in December. Also, he was born in a desert. Yeah. So these associations of snow and hot things and all this other stuff is completely wrong. We should be having sandstorms. Right? <laughs> well, y'all are in California. You're having some weird sandstorms and <laughs> firestorms. We're not having sandstorms. We're having like some even more like biblical shit over here. We got like fire tornadoes. I, I don't know what you have like in Queens, but we have... We have fire tornadoes. True. We do have a lot of those as well. We have a lot of weird weather. That sounds terrifying. We just have a lot of loud traffic. We have that too. Oh, yeah. Like tenfold. <laughs> All right, you win. 
you're the place of the next uh, of all the plagues. Yes. <laughs> yep. Although you know, I was seeing um, as I was just kind of scrolling through the endless whatever thingamabobs today. I was seeing there's a there's a combination of the two hellscapes that seem to be the coasts, which is um, Cal York shirts. They're also like a bazillion dollars. I don't get these designer things. I, I don't. Cal, wait, but, wait, 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 back up. Cal York? <laughs> what you- so somebody, you know those things that are like New York hoodies and then like California hoodies? Yeah. Somebody literally cut one of those in half and cut another one in half and like sewed them together and now they're selling them for like 128 bucks. What? It's like, it's like the watermelon bags. Have you seen those? No. That are like only, only, okay. So, um. What's that crazy lady's name? Gwyneth Paltrow? Yes. Who, she likes to do that that thing goop with her Christmas list, right? So one of the things she has is a bag specifically for watermelon. And it's like leather and hand done and by child labor, I'm assuming. Um, <laughs> but it's, and the price is only upon request. Ooh, oh my God. So, also, I think it will be wonderful for when the uh, the Marxists come and cut off all the rich people's heads. <laughs> then, you know, they can just store it in the watermelon bag. <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow, fan of the show. Um, ob- <laughs> absolutely. We've trashed her before. <laughs> We've talked about her before. Um, oh, my God. That's bananas. I need to I need to immediately look this up after we're done recording because I I need to know. I that's amazing that's of course it's goop it's goop but i i do i do love this idea of like you know the revolution being sponsored by goop <laughs> like goop products for everyone the socialists are coming for you <laughs> they have the goop bags for the billions of dollars is that a trump that's that's a trump, a trump. I've, I've been told i can do very good obama and like a weird Trump, which I don't get, but yeah. I liked, I liked it. I li- I thought it was a very impressive impersonation of Trump. Well, you know, when the uh, when the socialist revolution comes, I I can use that to incite all of the, all all the revolution, right? Uh, I'll I'll just <laughs> pretend to be Trump and declare something and do a deep fake, and then, uh, everything will come crashing down. All of our uh, imperialist systems. Yeah, exactly. We'll have guillotines again. We're going to bring those back into fashion. So I'm very excited about that. Yeah. So anyways, I'm going back to Christmas. I'm really enjoying this this plotting. <laughs> <laughs> so back back to the celebration of birth and life. <laughs> so the last part um, of the celebration is January 6th, which is Dia de los Reyes or the Three Kings. Um, that's when you celebrate the arrival of the three kings meeting baby Jesus. Um, and there's two major components of the celebration. The first one is the Rosca de Reyes, which is the the cake, the circular cake uh, that usually has dried fruits on top. It's really tasty. Um, I usually take the dried fruit off because who wants fruit on their cake? Usually no one. No one. <laughs> Except it's like strawberry shortcake or something. Yes. Yeah. And then the, they put a little, like, doll of baby Jesus, like, tiny, in the, the torta, in the rosca. And whoever gets the slice with the baby 
is supposed to throw a party on February 2nd, which is Dia de la Candelaria. So the party starts December 6th and ends February 2nd. That's how this goes. <laughs> December 16th to February 2nd. Wow. Yeah. They party oh, hard. I was going to say, on the, on the cake, this is, you know, probably a result of colonization of the Americas, but um, that's also what they do in, uh, for um, Mardi Gras. Yes. Is they have yeah, inside the cake with the, so that I find, I find that an interesting parallel. Yeah. It's um, kind of like a braided cake and, and they put it and they put the little baby somewhere in the, in the cake and then you, and it's the same, it's not really a cake, but it's like a bread instead. I remember because Sandra Lee, my most hated, but yet favorite um, cooking person, personality, I guess. Uh, she's terrible. Watch her videos. They're great. I think she tr- she attempts to make, a, 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 I think it's called like a king's cake. And it's horrible. It's garbage. It's, it's made from like garbage, you know, things from the grocery store because her whole thing is like quick meals and, and you know, semi-homemade is kind of her thing. Oh, she's a gem. <laughs> Look her up. It's great. But they do do the same thing. So it's interesting. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. I wonder why. Like, I wonder what the connection is. Like the French. I mean, Spanish. Louisiana. Okay. You, I'm, I'm a big history buff here. So I'm, I'm going to just go on a short rant. Louisiana um, was a French territory, but it was also colonized by the Spanish at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was a big or fighty fighty things because they want swamps um so then uh uh, as you know these other places in latin america were also colonized by the uh the the, uh uh, the spaniards so um then you know the wars fighty fighty things happened and then um probably some of the same things got passed down just like the way um creole came from uh certain areas of the southern caribbean into uh louisiana but yes my short rant that makes sense. That's really helpful. <laughs> yes. So colonized by the same people, basically. Yeah. Yay. So I think that's it for the celebrations. The interesting thing, I didn't know this. So so what you do is, um, I think it's around, at some point around these the celebrations, you dress baby Jesus. So if, if people have like a, like a baby sized baby Jesus statue in their home and part of the celebration is dressing it all purdy and then on february 2nd i believe is when you take it to the church to get like um blessed so that's part of the celebration which is really weird wait so are you or do you like baptize the fake baby yeah i'm no like theologian or expert (laughs) on catholicism but that seems like a waste of holy water That that seems really pointless. And can you imagine like the number of people that go baptize their fake baby too? And it's it's a big celebration because what ends up happening is you have like comadres and compadres. So you have a comadre compadre that sponsors the dress and that sponsors the party and all this sort of stuff. So it's really fascinating. I didn't realize all this happened. Um, yeah, but yeah, my mom is... was telling me that that's her. That was her mom's favorite part, like dressing the baby. Uh, that is so interesting, and also, yeah, very pointless. I wonder <laughs> how they're going to do it during COVID, because have you seen the baptisms where they have a water gun and they just shoot the baby <laughs> with it? So are they going to shoot baby Jesus? 
or maybe they'll do maybe that'll be too problematic for them but then again they are the catholic church um maybe what they'll do is they'll put um they'll put like uh, they'll fill the bowl of holy water they'll like mix it up with lysol or something you know and then maybe jesus will be sanitized too <laughs> two in one yeah no that's true the other the other thing i was thinking is what color is the baby jesus <laughs> is he a white jesus or just a white jesus obviously white oh duh with blue eyes this is something that i always get tripped up about because right jesus he's always portrayed as like this this blonde white dude with for some reason really large feet but um okay he was born in what they refer to as arabia which is brown like first of all and second of all he's jewish like he's not he's not even christian so yeah, just my my critiques of Catholicism are are running deep in this, and I'm sorry for anyone listening who's offended by that. I, I, I mean, it's a Christmas episode, so you. What else are we going to talk about? Yeah, but how Catholicism is insane, out, you know. <laughs> but so that's part of the the Dia de la Candelaria or Candle Mass, as it's said in English. So it's the the presentation presentation of Jesus at or in the temple. Um, which is an early part in Jesus's life. And it's describing his presentation at the temple in Jerusalem in order to officially induct him into Juda- Judaism. So that's what's celebrated uh, by a lot of Eastern Orthodox churches and then by Catholics. So it, initially it was a celebration of Jesus being recognized as Jewish or his like in- induction into Judaism. And we just changed it to a weird baptism. Well, that's interesting. That is actually fascinating. Thanks, Odkiria. That was like super interesting to find out kind of the history and the background of all that. Because there's a lot that I didn't know. And I can go into why I don't know any of this uh, (laughs) at the end of the episode (laughs) and go into my own family's celebrations. And and you'll see why. Um, Anyways, I wanted to uh, move on also and get into the synopsis of this movie and actually start talking about this garbage movie. I know we're 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 like trying to like not talk about it only because it's so bad. <laughs> we're delaying the inevitable. But here's the synopsis of this movie. So Santa Claus versus the Devil. The movie follows the adventure of a jolly Santa Claus. We get to see the Toyland, a castle in the an outer space where Santa and children Delegates from different countries, like all over the world, work together to build toys for Earth kids. So, Santa finds himself in a very difficult battle with a demon named Pitch, who is sent to Earth, specifically to Mexico City, to corrupt young kids and get them to do evil acts. Uh, In play are the souls of young Lupita, a poor little girl who all she wants is a doll, and Billy the rich kid who only wants the attention and love from his parents for Christmas. And finally, a trio of mischievous brothers who easily succumb to Pitch's negative influence. To travel to Earth and to fight off the attacks of Pitch, Santa has the magical help of Merlin for some god-awful reason, which... Which I also thought was super weird. And a Vulcan. Yeah, Merlin is weird. Merlin, we'll we'll talk about Merlin. I got a lot to say about Merlin. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> Merlin has a laboratory also located in outer space inside, like, the castle that Santa Claus also has, which is also somehow located in the North Pole. I don't know. Anyways, and makes... So his job is to make sleeping dust that makes kids fall asleep as well as providing and growing, presumably, a white flower that helps Santa disappear. Vulcan makes him a key that can open any door. So that's his job. In the end, Lupita and Billy receive their dream gifts, while the three brothers are punished by receiving only coal in their shoes. My God, this movie. (laughs) I feel like that that this was like the more like concise possible way to explain the movie, and it was still really confusing. Like, it's a lot of like what questions came up. I feel like often within this synopsis, it's a good synopsis, but I feel like it will have to go into more detail at some points, (laughs) which really pains me. Because it's like Merlin, what? But it's just it's there's so many elements of this movie. Just like, actually, it's so funny because it does seem like a very, hear me out here. I'm making weird Mm -hmm. connections. You're trying to defend it because you're the one that made us watch it. Go ahead. Yes, I'm so sorry (laughs) I made you guys watch this, first of all. Apologies to everybody all around. But it's this movie feels very Christmassy only because we were just talking about the how all these different traditions are interwoven. I feel like this movie pulls from so many different mythologies and ideas into this giant vat of crap, you know? <laughs> like, it's crazy. I mean, you're not wrong. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I am so excited to hear this part, because I know you researched this part, Orkidia. So tell us more about the movie production and history of this movie. So I'm always fascinated by that part. So I t- <laughs> by research, you mean I texted somebody. <laughs> Just deep <laughs> research right there. <laughs> So um, there are a lot of interesting factoids about the movie and its release in the U.S., which were fascinating. So the movie was released in Mexico in 1959. It was directed by René Cardona and co-written by Adolfo Torres Portillo. René Cardona did a lot of movies in Mexico. Um, He did a few of the El Santo versus X movies, like the wrestler movies, which were really big in Mexico in the 60s. Which are somehow better than this. They are so much better than this. The only thing I hate about the Santo movies is it's really hard to find them subtitled or dubbed. Yes. Um, so it's hard to teach them because I was I wanted to teach the El Santo versus the zombies and I couldn't. Yeah. But they are better than this. I, I think just saying a lot. The one versus the vampires is the best one. Or maybe the one versus the mummies because they have all the big temples and yeah ruins yeah they're ridiculous we have to do reviews of that brenda of those movies oh absolutely i was just about to say i was like (laughs) we have to review them i've never heard of this my dad has like t-shirts upon t-shirts upon t-shirts of these movies i i'll I'll have to find one um yes yeah you can show off his closet (laughs) yeah (laughs) so um so René Cardona, like I said, super important director. He was also actor, producer, screenwriter, film editor during the uh, golden age of Mexican cinema. Time period's a little fuzzy for golden age. Usually it depends who you ask. But 1940s to 19, early 1960s is kind of somewhere in there. He directed what is considered the first movie or one of the first movies of Mexican golden age. 
uh, allá en el Rancho Grande, um, which is, was released in 1936. And it's also one of the first movies that is like really bucolic and that romanticizes farm life or rancho life in Mexico. So um, usually it's like, you know, uh, the mariachi, there, there's usually songs and it's about, yeah, living in the ranch and all that sort of stuff. Uh, was really big during Golden Age too. Cardona directed more than 100 films between 37 and 86, which is a shit ton of movies. Wow. So because I love Chisme and I knew there was something going on with this movie, just my, you know, spidey senses. So I reached out to Professor Colin Gunkel because he always has the Chisme uh, or history, whatever you want to call yeah. it. <laughs> oh, his, history is just Chisme. That's why I love it. <laughs> So he had a lot of like really cool insights on the movie. So uh, a dubbed and slightly edited English language vers version, which is what we watched, was produced for the U.S. and released in 1960. Um, it was directed by Ken Smith. Ken Smith is a pseudonym for uh, Kay Gordon Murray, who did a lot of, who was a big director and distributor of B-type movies um, during this time. So what he would do is he would get international movies, dub them, oftentimes edit them, and then release them in the U.S. under usually different names. Um, so that's how he would make his money. He was also the narrator in Santa Claus. Uh -huh. so, yeah, which is... Way to save money. Dude. Yeah, and that's what he was all about. Like, he really... His movies are really... Like, think Roger Corman sort of style. Uh What I find very interesting about this history of uh, the golden age of Mexican cinema is that it directly coincides with the golden age of American cinema. And so you can see kind of a cross-border um, connection there. It's very, very interesting to look at. Well, and I think what's so interesting is that some of the ones, some of the movies that were popular in Mexico and well-regarded were then... I think when dubbed and resold in the U.S. were seen more as B-movies. So it's always yeah. interesting how international uh, distribution works in that way. Like, the, the genre changes. Yeah. So the movie was released annually for about three decades and was super profitable. So it was in theaters from the 60s to, like, the late 70s. Wow. Early 80s. Which I don't understand why, but people loved going <laughs> to see it. When I looked... <laughs> When I looked for reviews, like people were really nostalgic about this movie and they were like saying how they watched it when they were kids or they, it was always on TV during Christmas time, all that yeah. sort of stuff. And I was like, why? <laughs> and that's, this is the thing that we, I think maybe the three of us didn't have is we didn't have the nostalgic goggles to see this movie mm, through. Yeah. The reason why I even picked this movie in the first place was specifically because I saw a GIF about this movie was confused. And then I sent it to my friends. I either sent it to you and then I sent it to my friends and they were like, yeah, we saw this movie growing up. And I was like, well, I'm fascinated by a story that pits Santa Claus and the devil against one another. Like how funny is that? I mean, it is, oh. it, it is, it is a genius plot. And I think maybe- Just wasn't well executed. Right. <laughs> yes. And I think maybe watching as a child, maybe I don't. I don't know. Uh, but I, it was also broadcasted on television during like the holidays for a while. It has one award. It won the Golden Gate Award for Best International Family Film at the San Francisco International Film Festival 
1959. So it's an award-winning film. Wow. Yeah. What I find interesting about the fact that it ran on TV was that that's actually once, um, you know, because the film industry for a while, right after kind of that, that golden period, was suffering because the introduction of the television into the home um, and into more and more American and, I'm assuming, Mexican homes. Um, so uh, I find it interesting that, you know, a lot of these movies that we think about today did run on TV, even through, like, the 1980s, right? So if you think about, like, Blade Runner, that had very bad critical reception, but then it ran on TV, and people would just watch it, and then that, you know, that inspired people. Um, so I think this movie may have had a similar thing, but also it was a way for the corporations to make money, because what they would do was they would rent out time on the TV slots and then push in their films um, as promotions for other films, because TV was kind of like a youngster's game. Oh God, I sound old. And then like <laughs> going to the cinema for like a Lawrence of Arabia eight hour thing, you know, that was like Stanley Kubrick. That was a thing that like the old people did. That was like the opera or something, you know, like, yeah. No, that makes sense. And it's just, and I think the connection, again, I think it's also, you're pushing this film on children during the holiday season. And so kids kind of connect it to this, you know, from like a really warm time in their lives, during their lives with happy, hopefully happy memories. Yeah. And so you kind of connect the movie. Uh, it, it intertwines with those happy memories. And so then as an adult, when you see it again, you're like, oh, my God, what was I thinking as a child? <laughs> how many drugs was, how much candy did I have before watching this movie? Yes. So, um, one of the other tidbits that we got from Archie's Mo historian, that's going to be his official title now. Oh, yes. Professor Finkel. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it was super successful in the U.S., but it was not as successful in Latin American countries. Part of the reason was obviously Santa Claus was not a big icon in Latin America at this time. So I tried to do some quick research. Um, and I don't, I think this was the first appearance of Santa Claus in a Mexican movie. I couldn't find anything earlier. Yeah, because I was going to say, with Santa Claus, um, it's it's three kings, right? That That's that's what happens around the holidays. Now, I, I can't definitely go into depth around that, but it's commercialized. But, like, Santa Claus in the U.S. takes it to a whole different level. And it's very much about um, capitalism and kind of, a, you know, a, a pursuit of material wealth. Um, around the holidays by using this this figure of this very obese, jolly old man, um, which misses me somehow. Um, but yeah, and then within Latin America, there's the Three Kings Day. So it doesn't strike me as something that would do very well in Mexico or Latin American countries because it's not relatable. It's It's not... It's Santa Claus. He, he, that's that's not a thing there. It's it's not. Yeah, I'm ranting now, but yeah. No, but exactly. I mean that's exactly true. Like, and part of so part of the reason that they they made this was Mexico during this time was exporting movies too, right? Yeah. So they wanted to make something that was accessible, and they I guess they thought it was going to be a bigger hit because they invested about a million pesos to make it, which I imagine was a shit ton of money during that time. Because it sounds yeah. like a shit ton of money now. Yeah. Um, so 
they it was a big big investment and they did not you know get a return on that because it, it was semi-successful in mexico but not successful in latin america which was their 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 other big market and then when it was distributed in the u.s by gordon murray he didn't pay for the rights um when i was doing research somebody said that it doesn't have it wasn't copyrighted mm. so i'm not sure if it wasn't copyrighted recently or if it wasn't copyrighted uh when gordon murray got it but when gordon Mar- murray got it he didn't pay for it to the producers which was uh william calderon william calderon and the calderon family are huge in mexico for film production uh they still are they have like an archive and everything but uh, so that was a big deal. And later on, Murray agreed to pay Calderon's widow some money, which he did. And then he quit when it was released on VHS. It was like a different form of distribution. So they quit paying her money. Um, <sighs> but yeah, so that was like really fascinating gossip. Last thing, this movie was banned in Spain because what? of Franco. And it was seen as a violation of Catholic doctrine because it was oh. it included the devil, okay. you know. All this sort of stuff. So it's a really controversial, kind of popular, really fascinating historically yeah. movie. Um, but yeah. I would just like Who to really point out, though, Americans stealing Mexican jobs. <laughs> it's, you hit the nail on that. I was going to comment on that, but that, that summarized exactly how I felt. <laughs> because that that sucks that they got no money for this. But also, I, as I was watching this movie, I can I can definitely see anyone from a religious background be like, "What the hell?" You know, because yeah. <laughs> there's just so much. So I'm not surprised. It what what Catherine doc, doctrine did it violate specifically? Like, do you know? I'm not sure. I didn't follow up too much on that one. I just that little tidbit. Maybe it was okay. Again, I'm no, like, theologian, but maybe it was, like, Lost Prophets? That that would somehow make sense to me. But in a very strange, twisted, governmental, proto-fascist way, like McCarthy-ish, maybe? False Prophets? But I, I, I don't know. I mean, is Santa Claus... It, it Did they have more problems with Santa Claus? Or the devil. You know, versus, like, actually having a problem with the devil? Because the devil... In Catholic doctrine exists, but Santa Claus doesn't. So, true. who's evil in this? Who who is the true monster? <laughs> I think I think that gets us to our favorite moments in this movie because some of the confusing things were, what the hell's going on with Santa Claus? Yeah, um, there was just such such a mess. So, Brenda, this was your pick. Get us started. What were your favorite moments? <laughs> okay. Yes. So first of all, I'm so sorry again for making you watch this and making anyone in our audience watch this. Um, Anyways, this movie, as it started, you know, the more I kind of went into it or or the more it it went by, the more I was like, what is happening? Um, And when I was talking to my friends about this movie, they actually said this movie terrified them as a child. Like, they didn't have, they didn't have the associated, like, happy memories with this movie. They just remember watching it and being like, what the hell? And so the devil specifically with his mannerisms and movements and makeup, I can see 
his portrayal really terrifying a, a child, a small child. But I say, you know, teach him terror from an early age, right? <laughs> That's the Latino way. I second That's the this. Latino way. <laughs> yes. So I did also overall think that it had a lot of creativity kind of put into it. And I could tell that this movie was made with love. Uh, it wasn't, it, it, it is very convoluted, but I think they did put a lot of effort into it. And it makes sense now knowing how much money they put into it. Um, for the sets, like this is specifically talking about the sets. I, th- I was actually kind of impressed with the sets themselves as opposed to the plot. <laughs> so here are kind of my crazy favorite WTF moments. I only have five. So the first one is Santa's Observatory is nuts. It's in space. Um, it makes and it's also in the North Pole somehow. There's snow also. It's very nuts. But the but. There's a couple of different rooms in his castle that we see, and one of them is his observatory, which looked like it was out of somewhere, something out of like Pee Wee Herman's playhouse. The panel had lips on it <laughs> for some reason and could talk to you. There was a telescope who had a telescoping eyeball that could see down onto Earth, which was also semi-terrifying too, because it was just a singular long eyeball. And then... After that, later on, there's a scene where Santa Claus talks directly to the three naughty children, almost like a voice of God, yeah. which almost implies that... False prophet? Yes. So going back to your point, uh, it's like, is Santa God somehow? Since he can hear and see and judge everything, right? Including children's dreams. Yeah. He also hands out award rewards to those he judges as good. He's also somehow locked in the battle with in a battle with the devil. I mean, these are all things God does and has done in the Bible. Yeah. So Santa is God. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Uh we can dissect that later. Uh moving on. So the whole Merlin and Vulcan appearing baffled me. I think I mentioned this before. What is Merlin? I was just like, what? I yelled at the, like, I physically yelled at the screen. What is Merlin doing in this movie? He's from medieval times. Like, I was trying to, like, think about the history and how did he meet Santa Claus somehow during medieval times? How is he still alive? Uh, it's It just doesn't make any sense to me. Although I did love the way he walked. Yeah, I was going to say, also, he's so senile. Like, I, I, I can't believe he can actually make all of these things. It, it, You know what? This movie is just... Mm. And the other thing, why is Vulcan there? Like, Vulcan, the god of, of forging and fire in Greek mythology, in his castle, too. He was very hairy, too. Wow, that was a hairy chest. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Um, not attractive. Not what I like in men. Um, so he was very hairy and I was just surprised he was there. And all he does for Santa is make keys for him. Like, I don't know. I don't know. So truly baffling. Number four, uh, I loved it when the movie all of a sudden became home alone, but (laughs) with Santa instead of Macaulay Culkin, (laughs) including, including the, the thing that he did in the first home alone movie where he heats, the devil started heating up the doorknob. Yeah, I was thinking about this with the robbers. Yes! 
And so I was like, is this home alone now? What has happened? And so the devil, so basically in the scene, the devil's trying to keep Santa out of this house so that he can't deliver his presents to this specific house. And so one of the ways the devil does that is by heating up the doorknob. But Santa being Santa and clever sneaks in through a window? <laughs> yeah, it's like breaking and entering. He's done this a billion times. Like, that's Santa, but, you know. But... Yeah, I mean, Santa's a robber, basically. Or yeah. A... <laughs> He's a reverse robber. Yeah. So, fifth point that I wanted to make, or, or fifth scene that I saw that I was like, what the hell. I did find it genuinely funny when the hut... At... So, this is one of the last scenes in the movie. This is Santa's last house, or second to last house, that he has to deliver a present to... Uh, and he's having a lot of issues because Pitch is, like, uh, whispering in his husband and wife homeowner's ears uh, and convincing and convince them that Santa's an intruder. And so the funny part is when the husband and wife, who sleep in separate beds because I love Lucy, all that jazz, um, they, <laughs> I guess the wife wakes up and she's like, there's an intruder, go get him. And the husband is just flustered. He's super cowardly, and then the entire family wakes up, comes down the stairs and into the living room, and they all have guns, including the children. Kid is like a 45, and I'm like, the hell? Like, why would you give your child this extremely dangerous weapon? Like, the two beds thing, that was the 50s, but a gun? And these kids weren't even old, like... They were so young. They One of them looked like he was five. Yeah. One of them looked like he was five years old and he has this giant gun in his hand. And also, like, Grandpa has, like, a saw for some reason. <laughs> They're all, like, crazy. It was, it was a good moment. Like, that I did genuinely enjoy that moment. So that wraps up my WTF slash favorite moments in this movie. So I want to hear some of yours, Orquidia. So <laughs> we definitely have to come back and talk about the guns because there were a lot of weapons in this movie. Did y'all notice that? Were there? Yes. So in the scene, so there's a part at the beginning where you see like the delegates from all the different countries. So it's kids making the toys. It's child labor. <laughs> and they're making the guns. And then I think they show... I can't remember what country it is, but it's like a Middle Eastern country. I think it was like Southern um, Asia. And they all had guns and were like yeah. wearing turbans. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, what? Yeah, it was. First of all, these are very racist portrayals yes. of these of these nations. And the, that's concerning to me. That The African, when they said African, and I was like, so you didn't, so the entire continent. The entire continent. And and then they didn't even... And the portrayal, they were... These children were on drums and they were wearing like little leotards or little, what is it called? Lo Loincloths Loin made like with, with, with patterns of like cheetahs. And I was just like, get it away from me. I'm I pretty sure it. those kids were wearing makeup though too. I'm pretty sure those kids were in blackface. Oh no. Had... Like brown, like I could see around their eyes with different colorations. What? Yeah. 
so this this movie distribution company is like i i don't know it, it, it's weird i yeah because i noticed so i did notice discoloration on a lot of the children's faces when i was watching the movie and i thought that they were lightening all these kids faces on purpose and giving them kind of like a white facey kind of look but then i realized it might just be the colorization of the film itself. I don't know what color this film was originally filmed in. Uh, and so it looked very, pa- their skin looked really patchy. And so I was very confused. So I don't know if it was bad makeup uh, or if it was the way the film was colored. Yeah, I think it might have been a combination. I mean, I definitely have to go back and see if those kids were in blackface. Yes. <laughs> But it, it seemed like, yeah, some there was a combination of, like, bad makeup. Part of it must have been whatever was transferred from film to VHS, you know, it might, might have been a worn copy or whatever, and that affected how we see it now. That's true. In the color. But let me think of some of my favorite scenes. <laughs> so I think, so I really, really liked, like, the family dynamic. So the one you're talking about where they have the um they have this fight it's like really comedic right like who's going to go out there and then the devil's whispering in their ear telling like the grandpa you're strong enough you go out there and telling the dad the same thing and he tells the 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 devil tells the wife like you know men are all pigs you need to go out there and you need to stand <laughs> up for yourself yeah <laughs> that was a good moment she the the actress was very good cuz she looks and she goes Hmm. she's like they are they are (laughs) it showed like it showed that and it was like that looked like very middle class family um it showed like the poor family with lupita right like they lived in a it looked like they only had one bed yeah i don't know that one family with all the guns looked pretty rich i mean they had a gate that santa had to break through they had had a guard dog they did yes (laughs) but i don't think they were as rich as like the rich kid for a while, though, I thought the rich kid was part of that family, though. I, I don't know why, but... Yes. I thought so, too. I was, like, confused. I was like, there's two rich kids in this? Or or is this a different family? But, no, I think you're right, Orkid. I think this was, like, an upper middle class, and then the rich kid was, like, a high, high, like, rich family. Yeah. And then um, I picked a few horrifying moments, because I agree with your friends. This movie was... If I had seen this as a child, I would have been horrified by a few things. And what I found horrifying was not the devil, but Santa. His laugh was horrifying. Yes. And he laughed so much. Why did he laugh so much? I didn't like that. That almost reminded me of um, an older, somehow more well done. I never thought I would say this about this film. But somehow more well done french christmas santa claus slasher film called dial code piano um father dial code father christmas which i think is pretty much it's about fear of the dawn of the internet but so he's um he's this psycho who dresses up like santa claus and like goes into rich kid's house and like fucking murders them but this rich kid thinks he's rambo it's confusing but good watch but confusing um but so, yeah, that almost reminded me of that because that dude also laughs really maniacally. He sounds like a serial killer. <laughs> this is why I wanted to find the original Spanish version 
not the dubbed version, because I wonder if the laugh was better in the Spanish version as opposed to this, you know, you just, to this version, the dubbed version, and how maniacal or, or unsettling, I would say, this laugh was. Because now I'm just picturing Kay Gordon Murray, like, laughing as he's, like, editing other movies. He's just, like, do- like doing double duty, like, laughing at Santa Claus, but also editing or counting his money. <laughs> I don't know too much about this guy, but... <laughs> We should um, we should find a copy of the movie. I think what would make Santa Claus's laugh better is if we just dub it with Brenda's laugh. <laughs> oh my god! That will make it somewhat uncanny, but I think more comforting. Oh my god! Imagine. <laughs> I am I'm decent, like cutting room. So I I can I will go in and I will dub it with your laugh. I'll I'll post that on the Instagram. Please do. do I it. think it's genius. Let's do it. I'm down. <laughs> well, especially that's that scene where like it transitions from him being in the North Pole and we just hear his laugh and then it's like the the different kids looking at the the toy display and he's laughing through the whole thing. As Pitch is talking to the different kids, as the kids hit the the window with the rock, and then it ends up hitting him. Like, that whole time he's laughing. And it's, what? like, in the background he's laughing. It's creepy even, as fuck. I didn't even notice that. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. I'm siding. You know what? I'm, I'm, I think I'm siding with the devil on this battle. Honestly. Yeah. He's less creepy. And he's more fashionable. That red paint on his face was nice and shiny. I want that for my hair. <laughs> It was good makeup. I will say the devil had good makeup. One thing I thought about that scene with the store was that I also thought those kids, those those three boys, those are meant to be poor boys. And I thought in a way, this film sort of promotes these stereotypes of the working class within Latin America. I thought it was very interesting in that way because it's it's these three very poor kids who are like breaking into toy shops and working with the devil. So I thought that was very interesting. And I thought that was maybe one of the scarier elements of the film was just the way it was attempting to portray a Latin American working class. Also, I love that these kids, you can tell that they're meant to be dressed up as like, you know, like a quote unquote, like poor kids, because they're like dubbed up like greasers. I mean, they, they got their hair slicked back and they, they have these leather jackets. It almost seems to me that they're meant to stylize almost and even like romanticize a sort of like working class gang. That, that is too deep of a read for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I was thinking like you might not be wrong and re- reading this side by side with like Luis Buñuel's Pues de los Olvidados which is like that traditional classic movie about like poverty in Mexico City and like gang violence or like violence and that sort of stuff. And it's like a well-regarded, beautifully done film. And reading it next to this horrible film, like about like the class dynamics. But I, and also like the, the, the two extremes, right? Like the, the, the poor working class are either criminals or saints, right? With Lupita who's like the perfect child, no matter what happens, she's never going to steal. Like her parents sacrifice everything to be, you know, something. just hoping that something good will happen. And the idea of you, if you were just kind and you satisfied with what you have 
at some point something magical will happen. So like these two extremes of, of yeah. That, that honestly is one of the things I find most disturbing about this film is mm-hmm. the way it promotes this kind of romanticization of the two extremes of a Latin American working class. Yeah, and how you shouldn't work or maybe like uh, good things will come to you if you if you kind of sit tight and and hope and have dreams. Even though Lupita's dream was very creepy with the dancing dolls, <laughs> I didn't I didn't care for that at all. Oh my God. That was my that was going to be my last favorite moment. So Lupita is falling asleep. Pitt shows up and starts whispering in her ear. So she's dreaming about dancing dolls and it's it's women dressed up in a blue dress, like blue flowery dress. But it's supposed to be like those uh, rag dolls. So their arms are covered in fabric. So they don't have any fingers. Yes. <laughs> that part like giving was so nightmares. <laughs> disturbing. Like their little nub hands. Their little yes. nub hands. <laughs> That's so good. And then they have um, their faces are covered with fabric with the doll faces painted on it. And then they have like a bonnet, but they're, the, the doll face is on both sides. So when they start spinning, you see the face on both sides. And that is terrifying. I loved it. It was actually a good scene because it was supposed to. So at first I thought it was not supposed to be a nightmare. And then as the scene went on, I was like, oh, this is a nightmare. Because the dolls start talking to her, to Lupita. Lupita's in the middle. They dance around her. It's terrifying. And and then they start telling her, you know, steal us. You know, you're never going to have a doll if you don't steal. And Lupita just keeps saying, no, I don't want to be bad. I want to be good. Like over and over again, they're like, no, you have to be bad. You're never going to have a doll if you don't, you're not bad. And it's amazingly terrifying. (laughs) I just... It's so good. It's so good. And yeah, so I, I, I'm glad you brought up that scene because I was going to mention it, but I was like, no, no, it's too scary. <laughs> it's too that scary. was a weird scene. <laughs> that was my fa- That was definitely my favorite moment. That was like David Lynch meets a sewing machine. <laughs> that like it was truly it was beautiful in a way. But nah, man, those dolls. Mm. It's it's the lack of fingers and the burlap sack texture of their face that really did it in for me, I think. Like they're human, but not too human. Yeah, very Uncanny Valley-ish kind of feeling. So, say, uh, what were your favorite moments uh besides the ones that we kind of said okay so i i was gonna talk about um the scene with the uh with the window breaking but i I think i already covered some of my thoughts on that um and then i think the scene with the uh with the house breaking and entering um uh which but i think i already covered some thoughts on that another scene that i thought was really interesting within this was um the scene with the uh where the rich kids mom and dad are at the restaurant um and santa um comes in because somehow he now has the magical ability to teleport (laughs) and so he comes in and he's like but they're so they're like those characters in a horror movie where you're like get out get out of the house but so santa comes in right and he's like he's this tray um and 
he comes in and he goes, oh, you should drink some of this, like, I don't know, weird cocktail. But it's like smoking. Like I can see they put in, you know, they put in like dry ice into the water. And so all this smoke is coming off of it. But nobody else in the restaurant notices this. And for some reason, they both take them and they're like, oh, well, this can never hurt. Um, (laughs) So this isn't suspicious at all. Yeah, like, oh, this is, so then, you know, they're drinking it, um, and they're going, oh, this is so good. So then they call over the, uh, the waiter again, uh, or they're trying to, but then they realize that the waiter's gone. He went in like a puff of smoke, and that's a way they do a lot of cross-dissolves in this film, which is weird to me and very cheap with the puffs of smoke between Santa. That's like every cross-dissolve in this entire movie. But, um, so yeah, so then Santa just kind of does that weird cross-dissolve thing, Mababi. And then they're like, oh my, who was that? And why did he have such a long beard? And then the husband's like, well, I don't know, honey, but oh, I suddenly have a longing to see our son. So then, you know, they they go back to their house and they see their son and it's like, yay, happy reunion. The parents now care about their child. Um, But I thought that was a very strange scene. Um, I I, I really don't know what to make of it. It's... Yeah, yeah. It was definitely a strange scene because how the hell did he get into that restaurant? Put on a butler's or a servant's like costume. You don't see Santa. So in the scene, we don't even see him from the front. We only see his hand holding the tray and we see the person from behind. And I thought he had magically like hypnotized a serv- or a server and had him like create these cocktails for him. Then why does he have the beard and how could he create the cocktail? Exactly. So I think, so to your point, I didn't even notice that they talked about the beard. I wasn't paying attention very hard to this movie, okay? (laughs) So there's a lot of things I missed. So I didn't realize that. So that means it was him. And so in between going to houses, he also had time to go to this restaurant, dress up as a server, and make these cocktails. And then... Also, he was also at the rich kid's house to see him reunite with his parents also. So I don't know. Also, were the reindeer unnerving to anyone? Yes, those things were horrifying. (laughs) Like those wind-up reindeer with their dead eyes, like slowly landing on rooftops and animated through the sky. I'm like, oh, dear God. Like, okay, this, this may be a controversial opinion, but Toy Story 1, I felt, was like within the valley of the uncanny. I I don't like their faces. They're strange. They're not human. They're too smooth. Yeah, yeah. But so these reindeer are sort of like that and they just have these weird eyes, but also he can open them. And didn't the the reindeer laugh at one point too like Santa? Yes. Are you yes. And then the other factoid about these reindeer is that if Santa is caught outside past sunlight or or, or at, at uh, dawnbreak or whatever, the reindeer turn to ash. Yeah. Like vampires. <laughs> so what are these reindeer? Because they're like animatronic toys, but they melt or they turn to... I, so many questions. So, so many questions. You know what it is? Oh my God. You know what it is? These reindeers... He probably took the soul of some of the children and imbued toys 
with the souls of the children. You're right. It's like the Chucky doll. Yes. (laughs) Horrifying. Absolutely horrifying. It's making me like this movie, actually. (laughs) The horror elements of it. The the more we overanalyze it, the more (laughs) horrific it becomes. I think one other horrific aspect of it was the 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 delegates, the kid delegates, and we've talked about them briefly. But are they like permanently kids? Are they because they talk about they talk about Earth like they've never been to Earth? These kids. So how are they delegates? Maybe okay. So you know what? Now we're just going down the rabbit hole here. But maybe <laughs> um maybe Santa, you know. What was that one fairy tale where um, there's that witch and she says that like the woman can be fertile if she gives her her firstborn child? Do you think Santa did that? Do you? So do we think that Santa was like, ho, 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 everybody, I can bring you a child. Um, But you have to give me your firstborn child and then I will bring you children. Like. And then he, like, uses them as unpaid child labor on the castle in the cloud slash North Pole um, and as delegates from multiple countries. And then... but And that's why... Oh, my God. And then when he's done with them, he makes them into reindeer. Yes. I was just going to say, that's why he keeps Merlin around, because Merlin keeps them kids. Yes. And then when the kids start to question his authority or become adults or change in any way... He like disintegrates them and puts them into the reindeer, which makes yeah. them like the Chucky doll and reanimates them. Yes, that's exactly what he does. Oh my God. I think we cracked this movie, guys. I think we cracked this movie. The three of us need to like, we need to write this, this spec screenplay. We, Actually, we need to like, write Set, I, I, what I want you to do is can you make this movie into a horror movie? Can you turn it into a horror trailer? Challenge accepted. I, I, I will attempt. I will attempt to turn this film into a horror trailer. Um, yes, I, I'm going to put that on my to do list. Let's see. Turn awful Santa film into horror trailer. We'll put it on our Instagram because I think I think it would be phenomenal. And I think we should find finalize. Uh, this episode's getting a little long, so. Let's get into our final thoughts. Uh, if you want to start us off, Orquidia. Yeah. So I <laughs> I wanted to kind of hear about y'all's favorite Christmas traditions because it's our Christmas episode and because I hate Christmas. So <laughs> what? I know. Okay. So hear me out. Everyone's so freaking happy all the time and singing and like all this fake cheer and so annoying and I don't like Christmas, so I want to hear y'all's favorite Christmas moments or Christmas traditions. Maybe that'll take the Grinch oh. out of me. No, okay, so <sighs> this is something that me and you can agree on, Orquidia. I know we don't, I don't believe in ghosts and you believe in them. I hate Christmas too. Oh my God, y'all are, y'all are <laughs> such Grinches, you know that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't... I know I mentioned it before, but I I really don't have really any Christmas traditions. Uh, When I was growing up, my family's crazy. So my family's a type of family members, like they brought machetes to a soccer game once uh, in Australia when, because half my family's in Australia. 
And not all of them are good people, let's just say. <laughs> I have a lot of really horrible stories. So uh, I, fa- I just found out another uh, family member of mine is a Republican who denies that she is uh, Latina. Ugh. So, so, and it makes sense because my aunt... She's one of the reasons why I don't like Christmas, really, because she's kind of nuts. One of my crazier aunts. Like, she... So all of them are crazy. She's just the craziest one, right? And so at one point, she tried... My dad told me this story. She tried to commit suicide uh, over a toilet because she was too dark-skinned. And so she has grown up with this shame of being, like, a darker-skinned person, which I think passed it down to my cousin who is now Republican, if that makes all sense. It's all terrible. Anyway, she knows how to cook, though. I'll give her that. My aunt knows how to light her load. She knows how to cook really well, but she's also nuts. And so one day, I remember during the holidays, uh, we were at home, and I also grew up really poor, so I never had any money for presents. Like, I didn't have any of that. Um, my dad also always told me scary stories during the Christmas times, like aliens were going to kidnap us and take us away. And so I was terrified of aliens for a long time. Anyways, one Christmas, I think my aunt came over and she started arguing with my uncle because they had a very tumultuous relationship as well. And they literally started like fisticuffing in like my house. They came over just to fight. Like we didn't invite them. They weren't, we weren't, like, it was a complete surprise. She came over. At one point, her shirt was off, um, and they were, like, fighting. And I was like, what the hell is happening? So those are my memories of Christmas, and I don't like Christmas. Dude, families are crazy. Families are, like, you know what? They're all good, but they all got problems. That That's the thing about families. Yes, and so... I mean, I also don't like the fake Christmas cheer. I don't like the capitalism that's associated with Christmas. I don't like the fakeness of all of it. And so that's one of the reasons why I don't like this holiday. I also got broken up with one day during Christmas. Oh. I think it was like, yeah, it was around Christmas time. So it's another reason. I mean, it's just like all these bad things would happen to me around Christmas time. So I've always associated with it negatively. I have better memories and more positive feelings for the holidays during uh, New Year's Eve. So New Year's Eve is kind of my holiday that I enjoy. And I'm trying to create more of a family thing with my family because we don't have any, they don't have money. And so now that I'm, I have like a little bit of disposable income, we can actually like Maybe rent an Airbnb and go on a mini vacation, you know. And my parents work all the time, so it's really hard to pull them away from work. So at least like three days, maybe a year that we can spend together as a family would be great. But it's been really hard uh, growing up because they work all the time. So we never had vacations. But anyways, that's enough about me. What about... What about you, Sam? Maybe you're the only ray of hope in yeah. our Grinch Grinch hearts. Come on, say, make us love Christmas. So, first of all, my family 
is very weird and very complex. So we have kind of strange, strange Christmas traditions. So um, my mom's side of the family are Irish Catholics from upstate New York who moved to South Texas, who were border scholars and artists. And my dad's side of the family, Northern Mexicans moved to Las Vegas but now, now we don't know much about them. We, 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 don't, we, don't, we don't have a ton of contact with them. But um, so we always go for Christmas or it's sadly this Christmas we won't. But, but you know, we, we always go for Christmas to my grandma's house um, on my mom's side. And she will make uh, around the holiday, she has like a specific meal and dessert for breakfast, dinner and lunch for like every holiday, basically. Um, she, she plans out everything um, around the holidays. What she will do in uh, Christmas is that she will make stolen, which is a type of like German sweet bread. It's strange, yeah. but it's very good and full of sugar, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and she has never told anyone the recipe to oh. her stolen before. So you have to go to her house and eat that stolen. And then she'll also make um. Oh, Mana, you'll probably know what these are. You'll probably be able to explain these better than, um, you know, javelinas? Is that just a South Texas thing? Or am I bonkers? You know, like the eggs that are like all peppered and have the jalapenos in them and you put the, you know, the javelinas? The wild javelinas is what my grandma and grandpa call them. But um, yeah, so it's, it's a thing. I don't know if it's just like in Corpus Christi. I think that's a Corpus Christi thing. I've never had that. They're really good, though. So on Christmas Day, right, she'll make, like, a big, big, big spread. She'll put some, uh, but, yeah, she'll have that stolen. She'll have some cookies. She makes really good cookies. And then she'll have um, javelinas, uh, javelinas, right, which are, I guess, <laughs> is some kind of hog. Yeah, that's why I was like, y'all have pig for, I mean, I guess that makes sense. But it's, it's not the hog. So that's always what confuses me. <laughs> it's, like, scrambled eggs, basically. But then you'll put like jalapenos in them and you'll put like chili peppers in them, put all sorts of sauces in them. And so you'll scramble them up and then you'll eat them for breakfast with like, you know, the stolen. So that's, these are, these are my, my yummy family Christmas traditions, but yeah. So, and then of course, you know, another very wonderful family Christmas tradition that often happens and that almost came close to very happening this Thanksgiving over Zoom was fights. Everybody <laughs> gotta love those fights. Um, um, but you know, my family, they, they hold grudges. So the it, Christmas can get very intense. Um, <laughs> with the, I, I can see y'all can't see this, but I can see Brenda nodding. She, yes. She's doing like the prayer hands and she's just nodding. Up and I know that feel, I know that feel, which is why we don't talk to our family anymore on my <laughs> my world we don't talk to them i only have my parents and my sister and that's it basically in terms of considering even celebrating anything you know yeah so my my family you know we we got luckily they're beginning to reconcile things oh. but this these grudges have been going on for like 20 30 years so it's deep roots but you know they're they're starting to reconcile things so that's good but grudges always at every holiday some fight will happen and it's usually i'm not pointing any fingers 
but it is usually related to the Catholicism. <laughs> it is usually related to something that will arise from these beliefs. Um, and I'm not saying that they're directly tied to certain aspects of the Republican Party, but sometimes it can get a little bit more conservative, which will then usually prompt me and my mom and my dad and other members from, you know, hang, hanging out with us to, to usually get into some, some pretty big arguments. We usually reconcile it quite quickly or there's a big grudge that forms like that Christmas. So yes, Christmas is in South Texas. Um, very fun, lots of good food, but grudges. Yeah. I think that summarizes most people's Christmas. It's like food, great laughter, nice camaraderie, fights. But also, <laughs> you know what? I, I don't know. My family's weird because my dad, yeah, my, my dad, he's, he's Chicano, and then my, my grandpa's like Irish Catholic. So you know what? Yeah, my, my family's weird, so... I, I, I can't. I think it's common. I think it's it's a very common thing that we're seeing now is like this mix, more mixture. And as we know from this movie and from the wonderful history lesson that Orkidia gave us is that everything's a mix. It's a crapshoot mix. It's just like a giant vat and everything's <laughs> mixed up. So stir, stir, stir and fights. So I think... That's basically it, right, Orkidia? Yeah, that's it for our episode today. It was really fun to talk about this movie with you. It was more fun to talk about it than it was to watch it. Yes. <laughs> Final thoughts on the movie is to definitely don't watch it. I would say watch maybe the, the what is it? The, the Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yes, thank you. That episode. It's also on Tubi, and I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes as well. Uh, for people if they want to actually watch the movie, maybe in a com more comedic way. And uh, you can also compare your notes to our notes <laughs> and see that we are not lying. It is a very strange <laughs> movie. Um, I don't recommend watching it alone. Uh, I watched it alone and was quite freaked out uh, and, so <laughs> and confused. But that's basically it for today. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you want to continue supporting us, please, please, please leave us a review. Just let us know what you think. And if you have any monsters, creatures, or legends you want us to cover, let us know. Also, hit the subscribe button on your podcast uh, to get updates for when we release our new episodes. We try to release one once a month. And you can also follow us on social media if you want to know when we drop episodes as well. So you can follow us on Twitter at Monstras Podcast. Or you can email us also at monstraspodcast at gmail.com. We also have a website, monstraspodcast.com. And we also are on Instagram under the same name and on Facebook under the same name. So you can find us. We're out there, like, easily found, easely found. <laughs> like We're aliens, out there. <laughs> We're out there. <laughs> um, to anyone listening, if you do not... Leave us a review or subscribe to this podcast. We will sick a monster of our choice on you. La Llorona, she's going to come at you from your window. Um, we got the headless ballerina. If you're, if you're like me down in SoCal, right, coming up from TJ, 
we got you know we we have like a whole we got like some cabin in the woods monsters i'm gonna stick the the reindeer i was gonna say if they don't if they don't leave a review then we're gonna tie them to a chair and make them watch this movie on repeat (laughs) (laughs) will mystery science theater 3000 them yes say thank you so much for joining us today too this was a lot of fun I really, really enjoyed having you. Your your deep voice throws me off, especially because I was like, he's young, right? He's like super young. Because how old are you? 14. Yes. So <laughs> I wanted you to reveal that at the end only because I feel like your deep voice combined with insightful, like, you know, thoughts make you sound way older than you are. And so I like I like shocking people. And so I think... I think this is great. Use that voice, say, because you can you can do some powerful things with that voice. Mm-hmm. I, I will you. be sure to. And then also, I, I would just like to say, we're definitely gonna do the the dub of your laugh over Santa, <laughs> and I'm I'm gonna make that fake trailer. Let's do both. If you could do both, I would forever be in your debt. I think it's genius. So subscribe to our Instagram or follow us on Instagram so that you can see when this crazy trailer drops and also this dub. (laughs) All right. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you so much for having me, you guys. Thank you. And Feliz Navidad. If you have a good one or or you like it, (laughs) happy, happy Christmas to all of you. And to all of you, a good night. Whoa, ho, 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 ho.